The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Love that new opener, man. I'm so thrilled with that new opener. I love the, the, the mellow vibe of the music. Uh, good morning. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm going to be your host for this next hour. We're live right now. This is Autism Live on the Autism Network. So thrilled to be here with you. Today is, it is the 18th of November. This is 2021. Lots going on today. <laughs> Behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. I was just saying to Trayvon, the toy guide comes out on Monday. Fingers all crossed. Um, and so, you know, everything is toy to me right now. It's toy, you know, you say to me, how are you? And I hear toy, toy, toy. Uh, <laughs> that's all I hear. That's all I'm thinking about right now. Um, but it's a good, it's a good thing to be thinking about. That's a quality problem to be having. Uh, at least I'm not thinking of, of something horrible. I'm thinking about toys and the difference that they make in all of our lives, not just in kiddos' lives, but in adults' lives too. So, and I love talking to toy uh, manufacturers and people who design toys. What a great gig in life, right? Um, to just deal with toys and play. And play is not something to be underestimated, which is, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but let's take care of some business here. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and a bunch of other places. And Trayvon's going to start to cycle through some of those for you so that you can see all the myriads of places that you can watch Autism Live on the Autism Network. Uh, I, As I said, we're live on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, we hope that you will check us out in those formats because because if you interact with us on those formats, it shows up right here. I don't have to go anywhere else to be able to read your comments. So we love it if you write in and tell us that you're watching, say, hey. And I especially love, I get very gratified by knowing where you're watching from because sometimes it's these wonderful, fabulous places that I've never been. And I get to, I get to dream about that for a second. Uh, I know where you, when you live someplace, like I live in Los Angeles. And when I say that to people who live other, they go, Oh, Los Angeles. And it becomes, it feels like old to you, but trust me, um, I'll be excited about wherever you are. So, uh, if you feel like writing in right now and saying, Hey, and telling us where you're watching from, we, I appreciate that. We appreciate that. But you can also write in your questions, your comments, your feelings, your concerns. We're going to have a little bit more time for viewer interaction today, which is my favorite thing. Uh, so please feel free to write in and tell me what you got going on or what's happening. We usually feature on this show lots of experts, and I'm so thrilled when we have experts that are here on the show because I don't know about you, but when my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, I felt like an empty vessel that needed to be filled up. I was like, somebody tell me all the things that I got to know, help me out here. Like, which line do I need to stand in? Where do I need? I didn't even know. I, I was like, tell me, get, somebody give me the 411. And I didn't feel like there was a one-stop shop where I could get that. But I would read, I would get on these mailing lists and I would read about these conferences that people were going to with all these experts. 
and they were in person and they weren't in my backyard, even though I lived in Los Angeles, they weren't in my backyard. They were in other places. So I was like, how am I supposed to get to that? How do I pay for this? How do I get to it? Who's watching my kid while I'm there? What's happening to his program if I'm not there? How, you know, how is he being served when I'm at the conference? I knew for sure that there was information there that I wanted and needed, but how did I keep everything else moving along and not backsliding while I was there? I didn't want to trade those things off, right? And I couldn't figure it out. I could not figure it out when my son was in early intensive behavioral intervention. I could not get myself to a conference. And I look back now and I go, oh, that would have helped me. Oh, that could have sped things up. Oh, if only I'd known that, right? That could have really helped. Um, so, you know, the whole time I was dreaming about there's got to be, I was like, is that a magazine? Is it whatever? It ended up being a show. So we try to bring experts here to be in front of you so that you can ask questions. Today, you don't have an expert. Uh, today, you're stuck with me. And I always tell you, I'm not an expert in autism. I'll tell you what I, I will consider saying that I'm an expert in, and that is... Um, having had the experience for myself of what it's like when you don't know what you don't know. I'm an expert in that, knowing what it feels like when you don't know what you don't know and how debilitating that can be to an individual. I'll speak for myself. It was eating me up, not knowing what I would know. So, um, you know, and I have spent over a decade interviewing people, experts on the spectrum. So I don't know what they know, but I sometimes I'm good at being able to say, you know who you should talk to about that? You know who's got an interesting article about that? You know who did research on that? That's really interesting. That's, uh, so I consider myself like an old fashioned telephone operator. I like to connect people because it's not one size fits all, right? Some people need help with sensory stuff. Some people need help with a behavior that is challenging. Some people need help with the feelings and some people need help with it all. So feel free to write in and ask me questions, but you can also write in and say, who's the expert that I should talk to about this? I think I'm actually better at that, but we, we love hearing from you guys. And I really am hoping for some questions today. So write in and tell us, but remember, I'm not the expert, but I, I happen to know a few experts. Uh, so that's a fun thing. Uh, all right. Uh, we always like to start out our Thursday morning by uh, doing something that we call the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are those experts talking about? And why should we bother knowing what this term is? I used to get so fatutsed, you guys. It would just wear me out. Good morning, Christina. So thrilled that you're here. Write in your questions. I'm taking questions this morning. But I always used to get so fatutsed when people would use jargon because I would think, don't they know I'm already overwhelmed? Do they really think that that's the thing that's going to help me to pour more jargon on? Um, and I and I would get mad and I would sit in the anger of it, right? Then gradually I started to learn a couple of jargon terms here and a couple of jargon terms there. And I went, oh, you know, that's really helpful to know that. That really saves me time to know that. And then, you know, I, I kind of, I turned to the dark side and started learning the jargon, jargon a little bit at a time. So that's why we do this here on the show. We, we're, we're pulling you over to the dark side uh, so that you will begin to understand why the experts do use these terms because they're very specific. That's the whole thing about jargon. It's fast and specific. And when you're on the in, 
when you know what it is, whoo, it can jumpstart things. If you don't know, you feel like the outsider and you're being discriminated against. So we try to make it user-friendly here. So we first give you the actual definition, which is often a pile of poo, and I will point that out. And then we give you the working definition and we try to make that a little bit more user-friendly. Sometimes it's not. And then I try to give you an example of why this is important and how you would use this in your life or in your kiddo's life. Makes sense? Uh, so that's a little bit at a time, little bit at a time, jargon of the day. So today's jargon term goes right along with the toy, toy, toy thing going on in my head because we're starting the Festival of Toys on Monday. Uh, so today's jargon term is symbolic. Now, if you're keeping track on Monday, we talked about functional pretend play. So now today it's symbolic play. So let's take a look at what the actual definition of symbolic play. Are you ready for this? Let's make play sound boring, shall we? Symbolic play is enjoying, and, and, excuse me, endowing objects with other qualities to play with them in a socially relevant and appropriate ways. Okay. Uh, well, that makes total sense. Now we don't have to discuss that anymore, do we? Of course we do. Because what does that mean? Endowing objects with other qualities to play with them in socially relevant and appropriate ways. What in the heck does that mean? Well, let's not worry about it too much. Let's go on to our working definition of what symbolic play is. So symbolic play is using your imagination to turn an object into a functional toy. So I'm looking around for, for what I have here. I always uh, use uh, my phone and I shouldn't always use my phone, but a phone is always around, right? So this is my cell phone. That is what it is. It is not a toy, although it can be used as a toy. It is a cell phone, but I can make this cell phone become a race car. How? By giving it properties that it doesn't currently have. Like I can go, you know, I'm making noises and I'm moving it in a way. So that's the endowing it with properties that it doesn't have, but I'm taking an actual object and I'm turning it into something else. Now, can I, can I turn it into something else? I can make this a chocolate bar. It's so good. Right. Um, I could turn this into a bar of soap and start scrubbing myself with it. Um, I could turn this into uh, a water jug and, and drink from it, right? I could turn this into any one of a million things. But the point of symbolic play is that I'm taking an object, and, and this is important because we're going to get into uh, imaginative play later on, but I'm taking an object and I'm going to make it into something else. So um, this is... For those of you who write in all the time and you go, I just don't see that spark of imagination in my child. I don't see creativity. I don't, or, or you have kids that are very inflexible, that um, they're very rule oriented, right? Well, symbolic play is a great thing to work on both of those things because it's a jumping off point to get to creative play. And, but it's also works on flexibility and flexibility of thought. So there's a phenomenon in um, psychology uh, that, am, am I going to remember what the, it's, it's called functional fixedness. That's what it is. Functional fixedness. So when someone has a hammer, 
they go, okay, well, what does a hammer do? You hold the handle and you hit the nail on the head and that's what a hammer does. But there are a bunch of exercises that when somebody's working on functional fixedness, where they'll put a bunch of tools in a room and they go, here's the problem, you have to solve it. And the answer is to take the hammer and use it as a weight or to use it as a pendulum or something that you don't normally think a hammer could be used for, but it can be. I'm taking pottery classes right now, uh, which I just am loving. And one of the things that they talk about is taking found objects and using them to make stamps, to make a design in the clay. And it's so fun to watch a group of adults walk around a room and find something and figure out how to use it as a geometric stamp that was never intended for that, right? This works on functional fixedness and it works on flexibility of thought. Because if, if you're very rule oriented, you go, this is a cell phone, it's only a cell phone. It can never do anything else but be a cell phone. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people who think that way. But if we want our kiddos to be able to be problem solvers and to have a little bit more flexibility on things, then we begin to teach them that you can be playful, you can be creative, and you can bend the rules. A cell phone can become a race car. And if you play with a child in this way, you will notice that they have a reaction that um, almost any kiddo, but I find especially kiddos who are on the spectrum, if you take something that is supposed to be used for something else, I've got a water bottle here. So if I pick up the water, water bottle, I go, hello. Oh, it's a call. It's for you. Oh, really? He doesn't want to talk right now. And I start talking to the water bottle. Kids orient and go, what's happening? What is like, and they will look at you like you're nuts <laughs> because you just broke all the rules. That's not a phone. It's a water bottle. But you can watch in their face as they go, huh, um, because we're teaching them that the rules aren't necessarily the rules, which is a very useful thing in life. Um, and what I super love with kids is that, you know, I go, oh, oh, hi. Oh, it's your grandma. Do you want to talk to your grandma on the phone? And I give them the phone. And of course, they put the phone up against their head like they're really going to hear grandma. And then it becomes this thing where you see their faces start to go, oh, they're pretending. And when we make room for pretend, we make room for all kinds of things, okay? So symbolic play is taking an object and, and you turn it into um, another object that's functional. See that in the definition? In the previous one, it was they talked about endowing. So when I take the water bottle, when we say endowing it with the properties, uh, basically I'm going to handle it as if I'm going to hold it like it's a phone and I'm going to react as if it's a phone and, or I might talk to, into it like this to be a phone, right? Um, don't be surprised if kiddos on the spectrum get a little mad. When you do this, I don't mean to laugh, but it's, imagine I'm a very rule oriented person. I'm like, oh, well, the rules are stated right there. When I see somebody break the rules, I'm like, what on earth? Who entitled them to break that rule? Like, how do you just decide to break a rule? Um, and so our kids who are rule oriented go, whoa, everything that you just make comfortable for me has been blown out the door. 
here's what's wonderful about toys and about play though is because if we want them to see that this is just silly and fun hello um it's for you right if we can get them to accept that sometimes we can play and be silly then then this will help them to deal with the stress when things happen when a rule is being broken in real life I think a lot of our kids have that very heightened sense of justice. This is totally how my kiddo was. And I know a lot of kids that are this way that um, if something did not go as, as he understood the world should go um, and it wasn't just like if a, if a kid got picked on and it wasn't their fault, man, he couldn't handle it. Even if it wasn't him, he couldn't handle it. He would, he would, he just was like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and we had to give him a set of tools to be able to deal in that moment. Well, the great thing about play is that play helps you, it gives you a safe place to practice and not always be successful. So we don't wanna drive a kid to the point where they have a meltdown over playing with the, with the water bottle with the phone, right? And if you see a kid who's really distressed about it, then we wouldn't continue that. We would take a step back and do something a little bit easier, but we wouldn't give up on it right? Especially that kiddo would need to work on these kinds of things, but we're not doing it to upset them. We're doing it to expand their understanding of the world and how it works and their coping ability to deal with the world and how it works, which is not always ruling oriented, which is not always black and white, right? And you can't be in control of the whole thing. So um, super fun thing. I, I always think back to uh, my sister, who's only two years older than me, had three little kids uh, by the time she was 21, 22. So I was a very young aunt of these three little kids. There were twin girls and a boy. And so it was almost, and they were only 11 months apart. So it was like triplets. And, um, and I had to learn as a young aunt, how do you entertain three little kids? Because often I would be babysitting. And there was one time that we were in a restaurant and the food was taking forever and my sister had to go take care of it. And I was stuck at the table with the three little kids. And I, um, I, I didn't have a toy with me. Young aunt didn't know what I was doing. So we decided to play cards. These were kids who don't, don't read yet, but we started to play cards with napkins. And I said, okay, let's, let's learn how to play cards. So they would hold the napkin and I would, and I would say, you know, it, we, I taught them how to play crazy eights with napkins. And it was the funniest thing because none of the cards were marked. So we were just playing with these things and I was endowing it with the property of, of cards. Uh, so, but they, they were young and they remembered this. Uh, and of course we did more of it. So I think that cemented it. But it can be super fun. It can be hilarious because you kind of let the rules go, right? Um, and then that helps us to get to the imaginative play, which I imagine that we're going to cover on Monday. So symbolic play, super duper important. I challenge you to pick up something this weekend and play with it in a different way with your kiddo and see, watch their faces and see what they do because they, they will go, what? Um, and if you're having trouble connecting with a kiddo, this is a way to connect. This is an absolute way to connect. Okay, symbolic play, really, really good. Helps build that flexibility of thinking. 
uh, Christine, I'm coming. Good morning, Michelle and Christine. I'm coming to your questions in just a second, but we're going to look at our question of the day first. Every day we ask you a question. We love to hear your answer, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter uh, or wherever you might be watching. So our question is, what is your favorite toy right now? The other day we asked you, what was your favorite toy as a child? What's your favorite, favorite toy right now? For a lot of us, it's the phone, right? Um, but really, uh, can I just tell you, I'm having so much fun doing pottery um, <laughs> that like every, uh, every week it's a different new toy that I discover um, for pottery. This week it's slump molds. I know who would have thought that would ever come out of my mouth, but I'm having a great deal of fun with it. Pardon my dogs. Um, but what's your favorite toy right now? What are you playing with? Dr. Grand Pichet has talked before on the show about how um, there is this phenomenon that men continue to have more traditional toys as they grow older than women, that a lot of times women's toys go into crafts or something having to do with homemaking. I know that's a stereotype, but it's, it's a stereotype because it is something that happens a lot. And um, I think you know, we've been having this conversation around our house lately about how, um, how important passion is and how important it is to be into something. Um, and, and to have varied interests, right. To have those leisure interests, but especially when it comes to gift giving, you know, you want to think about it. You want to think about what can you give the people that you love that will make them happy and light them up. But also you want to be thinking about if someone's thinking about you, and they're wanting to make you happy, what, what kinds of categories could they look at? And it's good to have hobbies. It's good to have interests. It's good to have passions um, because it makes that um, easier for people to make, to give a gift to you, to make you feel happy. Uh, Christina says, my toy is a single poppet. It fits in my hand and lots of muscle memory. Love it. I don't know what a single poppet is. Is that like the, the, um, like a, I'm trying to think because the, it's the dimple duo in our, um, toy guide, but I'm not sure I know what a simple, a single poppet is. I, I want to know more. Uh, I might have to Google that. Uh, so, cause that sounds fascinating to me. Uh, okay. So our topic this week, if you guys couldn't have guessed, cause we're getting ready to start the festival of toys. And um, this is something that we do every year. I'll be honest with you. Every year we go, Oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. It's just, you know, it's a big effort. And, and in June, when we start talking about it, it just seems so far away. And there's always discussion about, should we do that this year? And I don't, you know, we just do it every year because we can't bear not to. It's way too much fun. And I think, um, I think that you guys have overwhelmingly said, we want, we want to know like which toys do you recommend and which toys are good and so on and so forth. So I don't think we're ever going to stop doing the festival of toys because I love it so much. Um, and this year I'm really proud. We've got the six different categories and within each, within the six categories, each, uh, category has 16 winners. We're at 16 winners now. And we added a category, um, a winner category this year that is, uh, empowering employment. 
And that is in honor of Joanne Lara and all that she taught us because we want to give our kids skills that will help them empower them towards employment. So I super love it. In COVID, we added the boredom buster, uh, which is for things on that rainy day that are guaranteed to get our kids uh, out of being bored, right? Uh, but then, and then we have all of our other um, toy winners as well. So it is, we're at festival of toys. So I want to go to some of these questions that you guys are writing in and please keep writing them in. Uh, Christina says, how can I figure out why my son scripts so much? Trying to do an FBA, hard to figure. Wish had someone on the outside of the situation to have an objective view, help. So let's talk about, because there's many different types of scripting. And, you know, um, I don't know if I have a piece of paper that's clear. Uh, I'm going to rip one out of a book here. Um, so I, I talk about all the time, if you're going to think about doing an FBA, there's really two ways you can do this. So the FBA, for those of you who don't, who don't know, is it a, fu a functional behavior assessment? This is usually done by a board certified behavior analyst, let's be honest. But if you're gonna start to work on it by yourself, and you can, there's two different ways to do it. And one of them isn't available to you right now um, because there is something called the C for the card indirect functional assessment, which is part of skills. If you're already a skills user, you can use that. If you're not a skills user, they're not taking any new clients right now. So that's a ginormous bummer, right? But if you already have it, do that because that's really incredible. Um, but I'm still going to recommend that you do this. You take a piece of paper and you fold it into three columns. Simple, simple, simple. Now, can you do this on your phone? Sure, you can. Um, but I want you to have this mental representation of what it looks like to help yourself to know how you'd set it up on your phone. Because the basics of this, and you can do it this way or that way, it doesn't matter, but you need three columns. And the three columns, it's as simple as A, B, C. You write that across the top. Again, you could put it sideways if you wanted to, however you want to do it. But you want to be able, this is your taking data. And the A, the B, and the C, that's, this is the whole thing with behavior. Every time you engage in a behavior, I engage in behavior, your kiddo engages in a behavior, we're, they call it the three-term contingency, that there's an A, a B, and a C. The A comes first. A stands for antecedent. I know it's another jargon term, but think of it this way. Antecedent means what happened before. So something happens. The antecedent happens. Now we get the behavior and then we get a consequence. Now this B and C, we've heard of behaviors, we've heard of consequences, right? But we're going to look at this in a little different way. So if your child is scripting, either on your phone or this piece of paper, you're going to write down you're going to start with the behavior because you see the scripting happening and you're going to write down exactly what it looks like, what it sounds like, what you're seeing. Um, they will call, the behaviorists call this the topography of the behavior. I'm just telling you, be a court reporter. Tell, write everything you can think of. So he said uh, a line from Shrek and he repeated it three times and then he threw his toy and walked away. That's exactly what it looked like, right? So you're going to write that down. And then um, 
write down what happened as a consequence of that behavior. Uh, well, part of the consequence was that he threw his toy and, and he walked away and sat in the corner and no one talked to him. Or he threw his toy and, you know, dad gave him a scolding about throwing the toy, whatever. Uh, whatever the consequence was, which a lot of times I just say to myself, what happened after? So it's like, what happened before? What was happening while the behavior was happening? And what happened afterwards? Because sometimes we get bogged down by what we think a consequence is and what we think a behavior is, right? Um, like, you know, I, when I started this, I was like, well, nothing happened. And, and then people pointed out to me, that doesn't, exists. There's not ever nothing happening. I mean, right now we're breathing, we're talking, the dog is barking, you know, a plane just went over, something's happening. It's just sometimes we don't notice what's happening. So when you, when you say, well, nothing happened, eh, dig deeper, be, be uh, a sleuth, right? So what happened before, what happened during the behavior, what happened afterward? And then every time that he does this, we would, you know, we're just going to make a record of it. We write whatever we write and then we draw a line. So now we're, we're ready for the next time. And I also like to note in the, what happened before pretty much anything I can remember. And a lot of times I can't remember much. So I'll feel I'll be like, well, you know, it happened at one twelve. you know, we had lunch. We had just watched an episode of Caillou you know, nothing much, but I'll just list whatever that is. Often that's the key, right? So, so this is how we, we start to see a picture. So we write that happened once and we keep writing every time that happens. I guarantee you by the time, if it's a real challenging behavior, then it's likely that, you know, this might be happening 20 times a day. Um, and so once you've gotten like a day's worth of data, you kind of look at it and go, what are the things that I'm seeing? What, what's, what's jumping out at me? Like, what are the things that I hadn't noticed before? Like it always happens at one twelve, or it always happens sometime after one o'clock or it always happens after we watch Caillou or, you know, I just start to see patterns from it. Now, ideally you would then share this with a board certified behavior analyst, but I'll tell you as a parent, you'll notice things. You'll go, huh, didn't notice that before. Um, does the third eye help? Yeah. And does having an expert help? Yeah. But if we don't have it, this is a great, great tool. And I guarantee you something will jump out at you. So, but let's talk a little bit about why kids might script. Um, and, and usually we're talking about, um, we're looking for one of four answers anytime there's a challenging behavior, whether it's somebody is biting, kicking, hitting, screaming, throwing things, um, leaving the room, hitting their head. There's four usual suspects until kids get older. And the four usual suspects are that they're doing it to gain access to someone or something, to get away from someone or something. We call that one escape, right? They're doing it for attention, which is a big one, right? Or they're doing it because there's something on the inside that feels good. And it can be a combination of the four, right? The fifth one, the asterisk when kids are older is control. 
we're, we're all familiar with what that is, right? Sometimes I will do anything just to be have a modicum of control of a circumstance, right? But little kids, that's, that's really not the ticket with most little kids. It's those four things, gain access to something, escape someone or something that doesn't feel good or doesn't seem right or is scary, right? Um, because they want attention or because um, it feels good, right? But let's remember that at the very base of every behavior is communication. That behavior is a form of communication. So they're trying to convey that they want one of those four things. So at, at the core of scripting is communication. A lot of times we think, oh, well, they're just, it's just an automatic um, reinforcing behavior. Um, but what we found over the years is that a lot of kids use scripting to tell you something because they don't have the bank of words to express what they want to express. So they borrow it from something else. If you watched, um, where I don't know where my brain is today. There is the documentary that is about the young man who scripted, is it called Life Animated? I think that's what it's called. And uh, it's Ron Suskin's uh, son. And he, he was on the spectrum and he would only use phrases from Disney movies. That's all he would ever talk in. So they would be talking to him about something and he would say diamond in the rough from Aladdin. And they would go, what, what, how, like, I wish we could talk. I wish we could communicate with this child. I, you know, but he only says Disney phrases. And it took them a lot of years to realize that what he was doing was very complex communication. He was responding with a line from a Disney movie that if you understood the Disney movie linked directly to the circumstance directly. And once they realize that after years of having him communicate and going, wait a second, uh, as they begin to new, know the movies more often and put it together, and it's fascinating, watch the documentary. Um, but then they realized, oh, okay, so what he's saying is what the character was feeling in that moment in this circumstance and when they were able to put it together then they were able to communicate with him and lo and behold once they were able to do that his communication skills grew and he no longer solely scripted i think that he probably still scripts some but he has other forms of communication besides that now so first thing that i always ask is is there a possibility that the scripting that they're doing is communication, pure communication, that, that, that it's not anything other than that, that they're trying to communicate with you. I, you know, the example I always think about, there's this thing among women that, um, when, when our guys dress up and they're looking just really, you know, um, that a lot of times, uh, a woman will go up and just brush off a piece of dust off of a man's lapel or a shoulder or whatever when there's no dust there, right? But we do it because it's a pride thing and we wanna to touch them and, and, and men don't always like to be fussed in that way, but we brush off dust because it's, 
it's a way that we show them that we love them and it's a way that we get to, you know, I don't know, it's a thing, right? And in, in, and in a lot of ways, sometimes scripting is that way for kids. I don't know how to say to you, mom, I'm here with you. So I'm going to say a line from Shrek, right? And it's their way of saying, I'm here, I'm here with you. So first thing I want to know is if there's a possibility, if it's that, um, before, before we look at anything else, um, and I'm looking to see if you wrote in at all, uh, about that. Um, but, but then, then I would ask I would, if, if you feel like that's not it, uh, and watch that life animated b- before you decide it, right? Cause they didn't think it was either but it was, it was him communicating. But then go back to this and see what are, what are the common threads? Does he, and, and what, what is he saying when he scripts, Christina? What are the, what are the phrases? And, and do you know what it's from? Um, because I think that that's really telling too. Oh, you sent me a link to the toy, great, okay. And I see that uh, she says, trying to find a support person to do play therapy is hard. We always seem to end up with grandma ladies that have health issues and couldn't run if he got away. Staffing shortage everywhere is hard. Yes, it is. Don't count us old ladies out, though, that can't run. Uh, There was a, when, um, when my son went to school, he went with a card aid. And then after a while, that was expensive and the school really didn't want to do that. And Card said, no, our person can train their person and it'll be okay. And they brought in a woman who was probably, you know, a little bit older than me. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's not going to be able to run after him. And she said, oh no, I've got my little kids on and I'm, I I, believe me, I can run, but he's not going to need to run for me. Uh, And she was amazing. And she was absolutely amazing. And um, we remain ever so grateful for her and the presence that she remains in our lives. So uh, don't count the older ladies out. Sometimes we can get it done. And, you know, uh, I understand the fear of if he's going to run away. But the point is, is that he may not need to run away. Um but in any case, tell me more, Christina, about what it is he says when he's scripting and what circumstances he does the scripting in. And while you're doing that, good morning, Amanda. So thrilled to have you here. Uh, and good morning, Michelle. So thrilled that you're here. We're taking questions this morning. So people write in your questions and let us know. We're not just talking about play and we're not just talking about scripting this morning. We're taking questions about absolutely anything. There's a couple of things on my agenda that I want to talk with you guys about. One is that our new website is going to be launching between now and um, Tuesday. No, Monday. Between now and Monday. So, um, and for those of you who are hardcore, watch us on a regular basis, I want you to know that uh, autism-live.com will still be there. And the way that you see our website will still be there, but we're, we're shifting over to autismnetwork.com. And uh, 
when you're there, you will have the opportunity of choosing between a couple of different things, but one of them is Autism Live. And if you click on that, it will take you right to the autism-live.com website and you'll have access to all the things that you've had access to for, for the longest time. Um, but we're, we're starting some new things that we want you to be aware of. And we're sort of separating out, um, you know, obviously Ask Dr. Doreen has been a part of Autism Live and it's still a part of Autism Live, but we're, we're separating out into the Autism Network. So Autism Live will be one show. Autism, uh, you know, it, it'll still be a part of the whole and Ask Dr. Doreen will be a part of that too. Uh, it's just going to be its own standalone show. And there's some other shows that are coming along as well. One of them I'm super proud of that we're getting started on. Got to get the toy guide done first. Um, but we have a new podcast that's going to be coming to you guys in the new year called Stories from the Spectrum. And it will be hosted and produced in its entirety by people on the autism spectrum. And I'm very excited about that. I'm going to get emotional because that's a thing that's time should have come before now, but it's coming now. Um, so we are going to begin to look for submissions from people, from folks on the spectrum who want to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to be asking for submissions of short, um, whether it's, you know, whatever type of creativity, it could be a short film, it could be, but we're looking for shorter segments to put together for a full hour, uh, for people who have been out there who are like, Shannon, I want to do what you do. Well, get yourself busy. Uh, we want you to do that and we want you to be submitting to us and show us what you've got because we're creating this new podcast, Stories from the Spectrum. And we want to tell the full gamut of Spectrum stories there. So that'll be super fun. Um, and then we're looking at potentially other shows as well. So uh, very excited about that coming up in the future. Nobody's writing in questions. You guys are normally, I have to rush to keep up with you guys. Uh, but, and Christina, you haven't told me what it is he says when he's scripting because it really makes a difference. Now we had, um, I don't know if she's watching right now, but dark angel was talking about when kids do gibberish. Uh, and I think I've shared before that I really relate to that because there was a time when my son spoke and then my son lost his language. And, in, but because he had spoken before, he understood the concept of, I talk to you and you do different things, but somewhere in his regression that got lost. So he would have, you know, toy figures and he would be playing with them and, um, and they, they would need to talk to each other because he understood that that was human behavior that he, he at one point had understood, but he just lost the language. So he would have one toy figure and another toy figure and he would close his mouth and go because he didn't have words, but he understood the basics of language. Um, and then, and he knew that, that he understood about producing sound and doing all. So he would run around the house and go, blah, 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 blah made, you know, it wasn't a language, but he understood that something was supposed to come out of his mouth. It was scary for me to have a child who had been speaking, who then suddenly 
was talking in this gibberish. And part of the reason why it was scary to me was because in the history of my life, my dad, who was brilliant and was an excellent speaker, um, had a stroke at a very early age. And I went up to the hospital to see him. He had a, a surgical procedure and three days later had a stroke. And so he'd already been in the hospital, was still in the hospital. I went up to see him and he, I said, Hey dad, how are you doing today? And he said, and I was like, what, what is that? And it was the most horror. And he couldn't, he couldn't speak. That part of his brain was stopped because of a stroke. So, um, and it was life-threatening and we had to get him help right away. And it was very, very scary. So to have a child do that. I think it's maddening to anybody because you go, what's happening to my child who was speaking and isn't speaking now. Um, but it was very scary. Uh, cause I didn't know if he was having a stroke, I didn't know what was happening. I think it's scary for anyone though. Um, when your child isn't speaking, cause you go, what's going to happen to him, her, us, what's going to happen. Right. Um, but here's the really interesting part we have kids that don't have the piece of understanding, oh, I speak and you respond. That's an earlier phase. And so that has to be taught. We, we have kids that don't have the connection between their mouth and their brain um, to muscularly say something, which is usually apraxia, right? So that's a different thing entirely. So if you've got a kid who's scripting, if you've got a kid who's babbling, if you've got a kid who's engaging in gibberish, it means you've already gone through those two gates and you're in a place where you're at shaping up that gibberish and the scripting. It's actually a good place to be in. All kids go through a gibberish phase before speech. You might be experiencing it in an extended period of time. You might be experiencing it with a kid who's older it's still a good phase. We just don't want to get stuck there. Does that make sense? Um, okay. Christina's written back in and she says he repeats facts about animals, math, or lately it's ABC fruit names. Okay. It's always an educational program he's watching. Okay. Uh, but it's not always the same script. I love that too. Let me ask you something. What do you do when you're bored? Christina, I'm asking you. Um, sometimes it's like intro, I do like uh, 21th Century Fox intro. Okay. But what do you do when you're bored? And, and like, let's all think about this. What, when you're bored or nervous, um, like what are your defaults that you go to? I years ago i waitressed with this wonderful guy who was from colombia uh, his name was roberto and um <laughs> when he would get stressed like sometimes the restaurant would get slammed and there would be so much to do he would talk to himself out loud and he and give himself pep talks and he would go go rabi go go rabi go you can do it go rabi go and I loved this so much. I loved him and I loved the way he said it. And I loved the way he trilled his R's. And all of us on the wait staff started saying that to ourselves as well. 
just like he would. We would go, go, Rabbi, go, go, Rabbi, go. We're not Rabbi, but it was so much fun. We started saying it to ourselves. That was 30 years ago. And do you know when I got to get something done, do you know what I say to myself out loud? I say, go, Rabbi, go, go, Rabbi, go. Now, I'm sure that there are people standing next to me who think I've lost my mind and who are like, there is no purpose for that. Well, but there is because it keeps me focused. It keeps me engaged so that I can get something done. Um, so I'm wondering if part of the reason why he is scripting the facts is because it's something, this is a bright kid. He's so smart. And I think you and I know that the vast majority of the people in the world don't know how smart he is. And so when you're smart and your brain is going that fast, you got to have things to hang on to. And I wonder if that's just how he's passing his time. I know people who do the prime numbers when they're bored because they're brilliant and their, their brain needs something to focus on. So they do the prime numbers. If I had to do the prime numbers, I would need a calculator, a mathematician. I would have to take off my shoes and I would, I, I would lose my mind, right? That would not be the thing to calm me down. But the fact is that is exactly what some people use to calm down. So I'm wondering, do you notice that he does this when he doesn't have something else to be engaged in? There's a commercial right now that's a Hallmark commercial that's running where there, there's a little boy and he's standing in front of the tree and he says, he's looking at an ornament and he says, do you know that uh, penguins don't live at the North Pole? They only live at the South Pole. And then there's another ornament and he goes, do you know that um, Santa Claus is sometimes called Kris Pringle? And they go to a third ornament and he says, do you know? And he's just a little guy, just a little, little guy. Do you know? And he's just listing facts over and over and over again. And mom leans down and interrupts him. And she says, do you know that we love what you know? And he stops and, and dad rubs his back and they have this little moment of connection. But here's what I love about it is that it normalizes that there, that there are kids that this is what they do. They just list facts. But I love mom's reaction because instead of saying enough already with the facts, because let's face it, there are times when we're all in that space, right? She interrupts him though, doesn't let him just keep listing facts because that's not going to be good for him and it's not going to be good for friends. And it is a little crazy making at a certain point, right? She interrupts him with a compliment says, do you know that we love how much you know? And he says, I know. And we have this lovely little moment. But sometimes that's what you have to do first is interrupt the pattern. And, and sometimes it can be to ask him, you know, okay, so uh, can you tell me, so if he's doing the opening to 21st Century Fox show, uh, we don't want to make him feel bad about that, but then ask him a question and say, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the logo? of Fox. Is that the, and you can say to him, you can prompt him. You can say, is that the lion that goes rawr? That's MGM. Or is it the searchlights that go everywhere? So he has to stop what he's doing, think about it, and then answer you. 
Um, and in the beginning, you can prompt him with what the answers to it are. Ask him something that has to do with it, but that pulls him out of the scripting and see what happens with that, Christina. I want to know if that, you know, pulls him out because a lot of times that sort of repetitive thing, um, it's a self, it truly is the self-stimulatory. It's keeping him from being bored. But what happens if you do something that's adjacent to it? Not completely. Uh, the first question, ask him something that has to do with it, but then very quickly, then, then, then ask him something else. Like, you know, do you want to have an apple or a donut? <laughs> right? Get him talking about something else. What we used to do at a certain point, because my son used to fact, fact, fact me into the middle of oblivion while I was trying to have a conversation with him. And so when he was a little bit older, we started saying, okay, five facts really quick. I, you know, cause he'd get really into talking about um, what was the little Lego show, the Lego ninjas. He would tell me everything to do with Lego ninjas and ninjas until I was ready to run into the street with my hair on fire. And I would say, okay, five fat Ninjago. Thank you. Lego Ninjago. Uh, and, and I would say to him, okay, five facts really quick. Tell me five things about Lego Ninjago. And then we're going to talk about something I want to talk about for five facts. And then we'll come back to you for five facts. And we would take turns. And that was how we taught him to, you know, give airtime to other people for conversations. Um, I need to see some of what you're saying here. Uh, all right. Hi, Tajis. I said it right once and, once and now I'm never going to say it right again. Uh, Tajist, is that right? Uh, okay. He's in second reading and first grade math. He does the voice of things too. Uh, and then we're going to talk about, um, PDA here in just a minute. He's in an online school that can accommodate his educational needs. It's awesome. That's great. He likes Winnie the Pooh. I ask him about the characters and this engages him, or I ask him about how fast a cheetah runs or the biggest land mammal. That's fantastic. You know, we used to get those, um, uh, the, it, it's like a, they're cards and they're long and they have all these um, questions, trivia questions on them, and they come age appropriate. You can find them at any learning resources store. And when I needed things to be teaching him or to ask him, because sometimes I wouldn't know half of what he knew, I would resort to those. I always kept one in the car and one in my purse in case we were someplace so that I could keep his bucket filled. Um, but it's hard. He's a smart one. He's going to keep you running, Christina. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a, that's a real, but I would keep filling that bucket with, give him new things to learn. And when he starts spouting the facts, let him spout a couple, but then either ask him a question or say, okay, now I'm going to tell you five things about, you know, something that you want to learn. And if you don't make it too long, he'll suffer through it. And then it can be his turn again. And you could say, tell me five facts about a cheetah, right? That's good stuff. Um, but then when it's your turn, you can say, I'm going to tell you five facts about brushing your teeth, or I'm going to tell you five facts about mom, or you can make them about him. I'm going to tell you five facts about you. Um, and, and, and that way it's back and forth. And if you have to go to one, um, back and forth, because that's really more conversational. 
uh, and then you teach them yes and. So, um, which is an old, old improv game where you, you say something, you make a statement, and the next person has to say yes and and build and you create a story. We used to do this in the car all the time. So if he wants to talk about cheetahs, then you say, oh, okay, we're going to build a yes and story. So once upon a time, there was a cheetah. And then, and then you say, it's your turn. And he has to say yes. And the cheetah was the fastest mammal in the world. And then you have to say yes. And the cheetah had a mom named Letitia. And you just pick something crazy to the side, right? And now he has to say yes and, and he can't repeat what he said before. Yes and the cheetah ate, you know, uh, 10 pounds of meat a day, whatever the fact is. And you can say yes and his brother was named Roberto. (laughs) And you build this story together. And then sometimes we would go home after doing this in the car and we would draw the picture of the cheetah and try to remember all the things that we said. Well, where's the picture? Where's, what was the mom's name? It was Letitia. Where's the picture of the mom, the cheetah mom. Um, and, and the fact that he's using um, voices for characters, this is not a bad thing. It's actually um, a good sign. Do you know that uh, one of the signs of autism is not using characters when you're doing characters? So that's a good sign. Don't be worried about that. Uh, When he's doing school, I make him use his words to tell me answers, and then I tell him the answer on the computer. Okay. Um, It sounds like you're doing everything right. But let's talk about PDA. Jasper wrote in about um, PDA. My question for you, Jasper, is are we talking about PDA? How old is the person? Because this makes a big difference. Uh, Public displays of affection are um, in different societies, in different homes, different rules, right? But the important thing is it's all rule-oriented. So what's acceptable for a three-year-old is not acceptable for a 33-year-old, right? Um, and, and what we need to do is define, okay, so the person is nine, which means that they're in that wonky space in between. They're not a little kid anymore and they're not a teenager and they're not an adult. Nine is, I I swear between nine and 11 is that crazy place. And depending on the, the physical development of the, the kiddo, they could be, mistaken for a 13 year old and held responsible for 13 year old things, or they could be smaller and being treated more babyish, which will be frustrating for them too. Nine is a hard place to be in, right? And, and it's a place where the rules change. So what, what we have done in our family is that every time there's a birthday, we institute new rules that we say, oh, you're five now. Do you know what five means? And then we came up with what those rules meant to our family. Now, if it's not around a birthday, that's okay. You can do it at any point because they're nine. You go, hey, you know, and and you can make a poster on the wall and say, here are the rules of nine. And, And you can add to the list or you can cross things out. You always want to make sure that it's fair and balanced, that there's some new rules that they're getting that they have to adhere to, but that they get new 
rights and new responsibilities that they can do so that it's balanced. Like, hey, it's exciting that you're nine because you know what you can do when you're nine? You can stay up a half hour later. You know what you can't do when you're nine? You can't run up and hug people anymore at nine. You have to ask them for permission before you hug them. And they have to say, yes, they want the hug before you can hug them. Whatever the rule is that your family makes. Um, we had to make rules with my son because he would go and sit in anyone's lap. If you, if a total stranger, it could be an ax murderer was sitting there, he would walk up and sit in their lap, not even make eye contact with them, but just assumed that is a seat for me. Your lap is my seat. Um, and you know, it was very scary once he was in school and, you know, parents would come to circle time and be in the classroom at total strangers and my son would just walk up and sit in their lap. So we had to give the rule. We don't sit in anyone's lap. Um, and that, you know, th that that just doesn't happen anymore. You're so big, you know, now you're five and at five, we don't sit in anybody's lap anymore. Um, you know, whatever the rules are, you get to make up what the rules are for your family. I, um, I don't remember what age he was, but eventually one of the teachers said to us that we were being too affectionate in public with our kid, that, that I was too huggy with him and that I was babying him too much. And man, I really didn't appreciate that. Um, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that we stop hugging our kids at a certain age. I really just don't. Um, I do subscribe to the thing where we don't um, in public um, that we, you know, that we maintain certain rules that we, you know, are, are not a thing at home, especially for our young boys, because the other boys make fun of him if they think he's a mama's boy. Right. But I, but I, I'm, I'm a big one for making sure that our kids get hugs. I, I think that that's a really important thing. Um, and that we return a hug and that we're excited to see them and all of those things. So set your rules go over the rules with him, um, but make sure that you're giving him things that he gets to do too. Because when you're nine, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do that you couldn't do when you were five. Uh, and we always want to be moving the independence goals along. Um, and it might be that your child can't be, be all that independent, but give them something. Because otherwise you get into that thing I was talking about at the beginning of the show about control, where they want, they want control. And it's okay for them to want control. That is an actually developmentally appropriate thing for them to start to want to have control over things. We never want to dismiss that. Um, that's innate in all of our kids, no matter what the developmental level. Um, oh, you're talking about something completely different. I'm having a Roseanne, Roseanne, Tana. I thought you were talking about PDA, public displays of affection. You were talking about pathological demand avoidance. Totally, totally different thing. I am so sorry. Jasper, here's the thing. When, whenever we're talking about something that's that specific, and that is not a typical um, a thing at all, pathological demand avoidance, you're really going to need an expert. Um, so I will bank that question for us to ask Dr. Grampy Shea next Wednesday. She will be the person 
to talk about with that. But I will tell you, parent to parent, that when people are um, not wanting, like just like when we have kids that are oppositional defiance disorder, um, you really, I just want to know parent to parent, person to person, have we given this person any control over anything? Do they have the right to say no when they need to say no? Because I, as a person, I'm an adult, I'm not on the spectrum, but if you give me no options, uh, what happens? We lose hope and we start to engage in behaviors that we would not have before. We see this time and time again from, from people who are considered neurotypical and who are adults and would know better than to engage in the behaviors they do. But if we don't have some modicum of control, it erodes everything. The rules go out the window because if I have no hope, then I have nothing. And if I have no control, eventually I will be at no hope. That is like the definition of hope, the not believing that I can control anything and I will try to control anything. Uh, we've talked before on this show about, uh, you know, OCD. And if you feel like you can't control something, you'll start to control itty bitty little things because we all need a modicum of control. I really want Dr. Grampiche to talk more with you about this, but in the meantime, think about what does this nine-year-old have control over in their life? What, when do they get choices? How often? And I would certainly be looking at, um, when can we offer them choices? And it can be as simple as, you know, we're having breakfast. You can have this type of cereal or this type of cereal. Those are the only two choices. I'm not letting you loose in the cereal aisle to pick whatever you want, but it's this or this. And in the beginning, that might be confusing to them because if they're not used to being able to make a choice, that can be a hard thing too. But everybody has to have some control. But let's talk to Dr. Grampiche about that because you really need someone who is an expert for that. I'm sorry we went into the whole conversation about public displays of affection. We've gone off all over too. And my phone's ringing. So uh, I'm going to sign off now. We're back tomorrow. Uh, We've got research. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. I love that you love that, Jasper. Uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, bye-bye.